Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back. Hope everybody had a happy holidays. Welcome everybody in. This is the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. And I am joined by some terrific co-hosts today joining me uh, from the center of where all the Omicron, like, I guess, raining hell, uh, our good friend, Cobblepot. Cobble, how you doing today? Doing well. Good to be here. Yeah. It's avoiding, avoiding the masses, I hear. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we stay inside. It can't get in. We're hiding. <laughs> What do you what do you guys do for grocery shopping? Um, do, you do, do you like the ordering stuff? Or? Right, we do delivery. Okay, nice. um, and and there's also a curbside pickup. So what yeah. we'll do is you know you drive up and pop your trunk and then they throw it in the trunk and then off you go. So nice. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you're staying safe up there. I know the Cleveland mm-hmm. area is kind of on fire right now. Yes, it definitely is. <laughs> uh, also joining us this week as our co-host is again. You know him, you love him. He's up there from Boston. <laughs> uh, I can't get that. Was an awful attempt at a Boston accent. That, that was, was a Boston. It's O O is O's are A's, right? It's from Boston. Yeah, Boston. Yeah, not there like, you go. It's not Boston. <laughs> <laughs> it's our good friend Ian, otherwise known as comedian MTG. How you doing today, buddy? Hello, I am doing well. Uh, we are also in uh, in the Omicron sort of mess up here, but that's just because it's cold and diseases love the cold. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so funny when we were when we were traveling uh, for Christmas. Um, <laughs> there was, was some lady in a restaurant we were at. He's like, yeah, I'm glad it's cold because the 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 diseases just don't do as well in the cold. They really flourish in the hot heat. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. Uh, but no, quite when the is cold and flu <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and now we've got. I was reading there is now a COVID slash flu variant. Uh, so if it, you didn't think COVID could get any worse, it just keeps getting worse. Um, so the moral of the story is get your vaccine, get fully vaccinated, wear, wear a mask and, uh, just don't be, don't be a fucking idiot. That's, <laughs> that's the most political thing you'll hear on this show is and just moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, we all had good holidays and while we were off on break, um, I was, you know, busy doing some stuff, but uh, we also made some <laughs> just um, the, the ambiguity of, yeah, you know, I was doing stuff. Well, Don't worry I, about I got it. married over the break. I got married <laughs> yeah. over the break. So, um, you know, it's going to be going to be exciting moving forward. So I'm no longer a, a, a single individual. I am a, or you are legally now single. 
Yeah, I'm yes. now partnered. Um, but we were also working on some decks. And uh, one of the decks you should all know because I've been yelling about it for literal months now. <laughs> into the um, void. <laughs> yeah, it's literally just screaming into the Twitter sphere. Um, is, of course, we're going to be, uh, you can tell by the title of the, the uh, episode, is we're doing a Brewer's Choice episode, but this time we're building around Arden and we get to choose whatever partner we want to go with it. So, of course, for me, I just said, you know what? This is a great time to soap, get on a soapbox and really dig into my favorite deck right now. Just guy Stoneblade. So I'm going to be talking about Arden Krom. Uh, Ian brought probably the most wild of the three, <laughs> I would say. Is it? I was <laughs> not expecting it. I will say that. Okay, I was okay. certainly not expecting it is Arden Vile Smasher, so Mardu yeah. Arden, and Cobblepot uh, gave us that good old classic Arden Tana Naya, here's a bunch of creatures and equipment, and I'm going to smack you in the face stuff. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll start over here with Ian. We're looking at, you called it Smacks and Stacks. So tell us a little about a little bit about this. Looking at the list, it looks like it's Secret Commander Winota, right? Uh, n- no. Like, <laughs> like it is, but not from design. Uh, right. Which I know anyone hearing this is going to be like, yeah, okay. And Winota was actually one of the last <laughs> cards I added to the deck, ironically. Because um, I wanted to make sure that the numbers were appropriate for Winota. But turns out, uh, something that I keep learning from my my stacks adventures is that there's a reason Winota worked in the first place, and it's because the balance of humans and non-humans in the stacks world is actually just kind of exactly where you want to be. <laughs> so Winota is in the 99 this deck, but the, the central conceit behind it was I wanted to have, well, first of all, I didn't want to do the Naya variant because I didn't want to do what had been done in the database. And I had a feeling one of us was going to also do the Naya variant as well. So I was like, I want to do something different. And to me, the big appeal of Arden is the Godo combo, which I assume we'll go over when we go into the win cons. Um, But so my thought was, you know, how do I best? So I needed red, right? How do I best utilize the fact that I have a one card combo in the deck? Well, black tutors seem pretty good at getting a one card combo. Uh, and the rest of the deck sort of formed in place around that central idea. So literally, I think my, my deck was the first cards were Arden, Vile Smasher, Helm, Godo, every tutor Black had to offer. All right. <laughs> cool. We've we've established a, a baseline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. My my deck, I guess, is next on a, on the list. And just guy Stoneblade is something that I've talked a lot about on the podcast and on Twitter. Uh, but for those of you who have managed to avoid me yelling about this, um, the the general gist of this deck is um, kind of it's almost like the uh, what was it, iconic deckless challenge almost. Yeah, uh, yeah, all over again, where I was just like, I kind of wanted to see if I was able to translate um, kind of that Jeskai Stoneblade control. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, archetype. archetype. Yeah. And yeah, in modern. And how can that translate 
uh, over into Commander. And so a lot of what it started off was um, using this. And I think I've discussed this on in Brewer's Choice previously, but was using the same like, you know, if there's four, you know, uh, Steel Shapers gifts in the deck, I mm-hmm. need to have four of or proportional in my deck. Right. Um, that many tutors for mm-hmm. this thing in my deck. And if there's, you know, 20 counter spells total in the, in the deck then I need to have that proportional in my deck as well. Um, so what's, what pretty much came about through this was a deck that was, um, didn't have Goto in it originally. Um, but used stuff like rule of law to emulate the effect that Teferi Time Raveler has in this deck in modern, mm-hmm. uh, because you don't want to have that same effect in CDH because you're just going to end up handing the game to somebody. Right. Because right. the reality is you're not going to have the answer all the time and you kind of need two other people to help you out. Um, and that's just kind of the reality of playing control in Commander. Um, we discussed this before, right? There's one deck that gets to play Teferi, and that is to say, um, <laughs> all others don't get to play it. So true. Um, but through playing this a bunch, uh, you know, Ian had pointed out to me, you know, a while ago, you know, Godo just fits really well into the shell um, because both halves of the combo just do a really good job of like worst case scenario, you play helm and you attach it to Chrome and oh no, I have two Chromes. Whatever shall I do? Yeah. Um, that's, that's the worst case. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like your worst case scenario is still really good. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could get like multiple Ardens, which is also pretty hot because you can do some really, really fucky stuff with it. Um, <laughs> There's no better way get, to describe that. There fucky. really isn't because it's just, it's, it's messy and gooey and it's awful. And you get to, if you have a, um, what's the, the card I'm thinking of? If you have a skull clamp on, you get multiple skull clamp attaches yeah. because and it just, it gets real fucky. However, um, so there's that and then Goto is just like that. And then you just kind of have to add search for glory. I felt like you it just met fit in really well because it's able to get a lot of different pieces in the deck Mm -hmm. um, as well as is a really simple tutor to find either half of the combo. So Um, this deck, (laughs) it's so good. Um, And it just it just fills a slot and. From there, it's just a bunch of counter spells and stacks pieces and rest in peace and counterbalance and rule of law and 31 lands because <laughs> we're old school. Um, but yeah, I, I love this deck. I've had nothing but fun with this. Um, and my opponents have not had fun playing against <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, that's uh, my that's just guy Stoneblade. Uh, Cobble, tell us about your deck, a big Voltron snowball. Right. Um, the snowball there is uh, meant as a uh, a nod to the Winota snowball stacks. And right. <laughs> contrary to, to Ian, um, I was definitely thinking as 
this list would be a kind of like a hidden commander Winota. So mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that Arden is is white and a lot of the enchantment or not the equipment synergies, especially, you know, Godo um, is in red. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I wanted to be able to incorporate Winota and yeah. Godo is a human too, which is a very yes. attractive option. Oh yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, because one of the best things that red and white can be doing is, is rule of law stacks. Uh, Winona lends itself very well to be able to break parity with the rule of law. And in looking for that third color, um, green just made a whole lot of sense for, for one, because uh, it gives you access to a birthing pod, which mm-hmm. allows you to be able to kind of selectively slot in the stacks that you need, depending on the mm-hmm. situation that's happening on the board. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also lets you use Tana, the blood sower, as your partner, which does pretty well when you give it a hammer or a belt of giant strength and let it make, you know, 10 or 12 sapperlings when it hits because yep. sapperlings <laughs> trigger Winona. And if you've ever swung and gotten 10 or more Winona triggers, um, the game does not last very long after that. <laughs> Usually so, ends right there for it, what it's worth. It, kind of. <laughs> if, yeah, if you don't find sure. a combo, people just kind of say, yeah, yeah, I, there's no getting out of this. And we, we have lost. <laughs> we have an understanding, you and I. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, but it also, it also lets you do some other things too. There's a lot of good draw in green you know, through Orin Frostfang and, you know, Toski right. Bearer of Secrets. And of course you can use Kadama to break your parody with Rule of Law as well. So right. that also happens quite a bit, which works very nicely with Winota because you can That's gross. You can <laughs> I don't swing I don't approve of this. <laughs> and then trigger Winona a bunch of times and you put humans into play and each of those humans triggers Kadama which lets you put things from your hand onto the battlefield. And then when so they hit, is, you draw cards and this can, is really offensive. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to need you to not. <laughs> um, it's, it's very interesting to look at the way all of our decks kind of evolved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I built a, a very traditional control list, right? Right. Um, 10 creatures. In, in my deck and I am playing like 29 instants. I would say a vast majority of them are counter spells or removal <laughs> spells mm-hmm. um, or some combination <laughs> of that. Yeah. I feel um, like I'm playing like, Hey, you like hate bears? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that's what I was kind of getting at is it's interesting to look at the lists and see where we, we all saw, different things that you can do with this, which is why, Mm -hmm. again, what I really liked about Arden is you kind of feel like when you first look at it, it is going to push you in one direction. And then you realize, Oh, there's like a zillion things that I can do with this. So when we're looking at your going back to your list here, Ian, Mm -hmm. um, what are, you know, outside of 
you know, Godo Helm. Uh, what are some of the win cons in this list? So, yeah, the, I mean, the list is very focused on getting Godo Helm. Like that is mm-hmm. a pretty instrumental part of the deck. Uh, and then the rest of it is kind of just tempo stacks, right? And I know tempo is such like a triggering word for CEDH, but <laughs> when you when you have rule of laws in play and then you're sort of just kind of grinding the value out, you're playing parody breaking pieces. Like I'm playing Tim Nunn here, I'm playing Winota, I'm playing a number of, you know, I, I, what I would consider very crippling stacks pieces. Um, you know, I, I tried to get as many pieces in here that I can break parity on as possible, but that are like, if I am against these pieces, they're always going to be the ones that make me sigh and go, Oh, I just didn't want to see this one right now. <laughs> and I, right. I, you know, think about the best stuff to be doing in the format. I, I have things like rest in peace, rule of law, graph diggers, like all of the things that I think are very impactful at the current moment, Dranith, um, and every single rule of law effect available to me. And then, so having that lockdown potential, um, kind of lends itself to then going okay and now how the hell do we win which is just (laughs) beating the ever-living piss out of your opponents with some of these equipment (laughs) or getting goto (laughs) right um i i'm always gonna be and it's it's the the mono red player in me but like i'm always gonna aim for that like no i'm just gonna win the game right now thing but if i have to pivot if they blow up my goto i'm definitely gonna be like all right well um, here's a blood forge battle axe. This is going to get out of hand rather quickly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of, it's interesting the the way we all kind of went at it. Cause we all kind of took different angles at this, like protect the queen sort of strategy. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, like for me with Goto, the hope is, is that by the time I've gotten Goto down, mm-hmm. I have so many cards in hand. Right. Uh, that I can protect whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's also the fun, you know, you're hoping that you can do those sorts of things. And then you're also able to just play a grandy game anyway. Right. Cause we're playing Crom, So we're pressuring people's life totals yeah. pretty quickly out of the gates. Anyhow. I'm very um, glad you pivoted it away from being hard rule of law because of the anti synergy with Crom. I think that definitely like I, more of the tempo because I, I, obviously you still are playing like rule of law pieces, but the tempo right. pieces of like the counter spell and the counter magic, I think definitely plays a little better into having Crom in the command zone. Now, obviously Crom being just like a flying hasty beater that can get suited up with Arden is obviously still very good, right? Like evasion is right. super important when you're going into variety games. It's one of those things, too, where I think I've had this philosophical debate where if you're playing like some people feel like uh, if you are playing any amount of rule of law, you have to be on all of them or, Mm -hmm. you know, or not. And my kind of stance on it is is I think it really depends on the deck, right? Because in a deck like this, you know, we aren't using we aren't aggressively using rule of law as like, like you think about uh, a lot of other decks that want to aggressively mulligan to a rule of law. You think of like Heliod, right? Mm -hmm. For this is it's, we're playing a control deck and we're using the control pieces. I, and I want to see, we talked about this in um, our episode with Michael Cobble, where we were talking about 
uh, rule of law and uh, how you can use them in different capacities. Right. And uh, it really uses it as almost like a could like a protection spell for your counter spells mm-hmm. um, where you don't want to be doing a lot of actions on your turn. You want to be doing most of your actions on other people's turns and you use Arden so that you can maximize your action economy on your turn without casting spells. Right. Um, so it's, it's really fun. Um, there's, there's that aspect to it. Of course, the wing con is, is Godo or just beating people to death, which is also <laughs> real fun. Um, and it's, it's, I feel like people are going to listen to this episode and be like, no, right. And beating people to death. I get it. Like whatever hippies, like that's not how we see EDH, but <laughs> I, I feel like, the biggest problem with Arden historically or, or like combat damage historically, sorry, not Arden, uh, is that the efficiency doesn't match what we're doing in the format. But right. when you have a threat like Chrom that really doesn't even need equipment to like be an annoying threat at the table, especially when the games slow down to a halt. And then suddenly you're doing something like doubling its power or, you know, it's every time it giving hits it you, it's protection no. from red and blue, right? pro like, red blue, drawing a card, having it ping things when it deals damage to you. Like those things add up very, very quickly. And the game changes. It's, it's the same reason that like Kenrith is upsettingly good in the stacks, like grind fest, right? It's because the amount of like agency you get during those moments, like the rest of the deck setting things up to be that way. That's setting up right. the game to reflect that idea. And then your command zone is saying, okay, now when it gets to this point, I'm going to win these games because I'm set up to do that. I'm set up to right. create a board state and then break parity on it. Yeah. It's very, very interesting to, to, to see that. And I, I really do like those points because you do have to be kind of a clever player to play in the late game like that. I will yes. admit. Oh, very much so. Um, because it's, <laughs> it's very it's very easy to whoopsie daisy yourself into <laughs> losing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, that's kind of the fun of these more challenging decks. Yes. Um, There's also the whole Winona aspect, which right. You, you don't really need to be all that clever. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but Whoa, hey, wait. If, if you can, <laughs> if, if you can in one combat put four plus, stacks effects onto the battlefield Mm -hmm. and you know people talk about you know the intractability of of having you know redundancy of rule of law where you've got like rule of Mm -hmm. law and eidolon of rhetoric and archon of ameria it's yes if somebody's able to to pull off a um cyclonic rift that's like their only hope and you know if you get into a situation with you know, Archon of Valor's reach and say no one can play instance, then mm-hmm. people are like, okay, so yeah, you were serious about combat damage actually being significant because right. you you put people very, very quickly into a situation where their ability to play the game that they want to play is just turned off. And the the clock ticks very quickly right well one thing so i think we should as we're talking about win cons and we're talking about like our arden and and why arden is so cool um because i i do think arden lends itself very naturally to the sort of 
tempo controlly stacksy decks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like it just kind of naturally pushes yeah, you. In that I, mean, I don't think you can ever play that as a fast deck, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's two interactions that I think is worth discussing with Arden in uh, before we move on that I think for our listening audience um, would need to just explain a little bit. So the first interaction is probably an interaction you've heard a little bit about before, which is Arden and uh, Skull Clamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the way Arden reads, Arden says at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may attach any number of auras and equipment you control to target permanent or player. So, you know, obviously R&D is doing this. They worded it in such a way so that you could attach like curses to people and all sorts of different things. But it is worded in a way that you can attach it to other people's. uh, Like creatures. So if you have a skull clamp in play, you control the skull clamp and your opponent has, let's say, Lana Wells out. Uh, You go to combat. Uh, you trigger Arden to equip your skull clamp to their uh, Lanoir elves. Their Lanoir elves dies and you draw two mm-hmm. cards. And it yep. is the most satisfying. And the reason you draw the two cards is because you're the controller of the equipment. Yeah. No matter um, who it's equipped to, you still own it. Correct. Um, well, it never leaves your side of the board, even if it's equipped to somebody um <laughs> despite but, how you may have to physically handle the cards <laughs> right um but it is it is under your control it's on your battlefield it's just equipped right. to somebody else's creature mm-hmm. um and that's one of the big nice benefits is especially when you're playing up against maybe a Winota deck or something like that that mm-hmm. plays those little one ones that come and dink and dunk on you you can come and kind of <laughs> get some card advantage out of it while also doing some crowd control. Uh, The other thing, and this was something we were talking about pre-show was Mm. how Arden functions with Godot and Helm of the Host. Um, Because there was some confusion about whether or not it would trigger Godot. So um, Ian, you were explaining this a little bit, but the gist of it is, um, is that the Helm of the Host trigger goes on the stack, even when it's not equipped. And so it checks that trigger checks to see if there's an equipped creature on it upon resolution. Mm-hmm. So you go to combat, Godo's out. You have Helm of the Host out on the battlefield uh, with Arden. Uh, you move to your combat step. You have two triggers. You have your Arden trigger and you have your Helm of the Host trigger. You put your Helm of the Host trigger on the bottom of the stack and you put your Arden trigger on the top of the stack. Uh, you resolve the Arden trigger to move your Helm of the Host onto Goto. Um, and then you go to resolve your Helm of the Host. It sees Goto. It makes a copy of Goto. And there you have it. That's how that that combo works. Right. Um, and if you were, it, it, we don't have cameras um, in, in the podcast, but <laughs> Ian and Cobble could see me. It goes like this and then this and my, put my hands over top. He's using his hands quite a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very handy. I am. A, I, it, there is. I'm a judge. No better way to describe <laughs> the stack than using your hands like little stacked pancakes. And I yeah. I feel like every single time I do it, it's it's uh, every single time like little hands yeah. stacking up on top of each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that was just something I wanted to, we were discussing earlier and that was like an right. interaction that I think is a little unintuitive mm-hmm. um, because you wouldn't think they both say at the beginning of combat. So your initial thought is, Oh, well the helm of the host won't be able to trigger because there's nothing on it when it's triggering, but it checks upon resolution, right. um, which is super cool. Because mm-hmm. uh, Arden makes that win not for real your fast. opponents. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that being said, so Cobble, take us through some of the you know you were discussing like Archon of Valor's Reach and Winota, but just you know in some more detail the the WinCon package of your uh, your list. Right. So so three of my WinCons actually include Helm of the Host, just so there's not a single you know um, boogeyman for people to remove and get rid of <laughs> um obviously there's the goto interaction with helm but there's also <laughs> combat celebrant which is effectively mm. the same thing so yeah. um even the way that you stack the triggers and so on it's it's the same concept that you're you're applying there um archon of valor's reach normally what you do is you once it comes into play you assign it instant so that your opponents can't cast counter spells, they can't cast a lot of their tutors, they can't uh, use most of the removal that they have, and, and in particular, cyclonic rift. And if you put a helm of the of the host on Archon of Valor's Reach, each good night token, <laughs> each token that you create is is an Archon, but you get to choose. It doesn't have to have the same um, assigned card type with it. So each one can, each each of the the tokens can have a different card type. So if you you know put an archon onto the battlefield and then move to combat, attach helm on the host, and get another archon, and say sorcery now your opponents mm-hmm. can't cast instants or sorceries and for the majority of decks that is going to be pretty insurmountable for them to right. be able to put their game plan together and um that is is just another one of the the angles where we're trying to completely change the tempo of the game such that we have enough time to put together a win through combat damage or that a, through one of our combos. Is that a white claw, Ian? You're muted. It's an energy drink. <laughs> okay. I was like, man, I didn't know it was, it was five o'clock yet. Um, right. I guess <laughs> it's it is 530. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're also in green. So, um, yeah. finale of devastation people never one of the coolest things I like about your list is that you can yeeson into your goto yes which I really cool. like <laughs> yep the, yeah an earlier version of this did a lot more um, it, it it did a lot more kind of stuff on other people's turns so it, it had yeah. seedborn <clears throat> muse and Oswald Fiddlebender and, you know, did a lot of stuff where, um, oh, who's the, is it Mike? I'm trying to think yeah. of the. Yes, the, Mike. Dungeon Mike Master. Mike is the one who allows you to 
uh, return a creature yep. from your graveyard to the battlefield. And you could do the thing where you have um, the, which ranger is it? Ranger, ranger captain, captain of EOS. Ranger captain of Aos. You yeah. sack it and then have Mike put it back onto the battlefield. And then on the next person's yep. upkeep, you do it again and just lock everybody out on all of their right. upkeeps. <laughs> My favorite thing about the Stranger Things release was not the people freaking out about it, but specifically about Phoenix, uh, Sculpting yeah. Boy Phoenix and <laughs> Gustav freaking out about the fact that they could just Ranger Captain every turn. They were like, we can't let this happen. It's it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was i because i specifically remember getting dms from phoenix about this being like this card's not okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. 11 like, is not like the legitimately card. freaking out legitimately <laughs> winging out like i don't want to play against ranger captain multiple times right but for a number of reasons i i i backed away from that mm-hmm. aspect of I, of the, yeah i think and, the the list as is is a lot less cute than that and i think that's probably going to be better for you in the long run <laughs> right yeah um part of what i really like about it though is just like it just layers very well with itself yeah. which i really <laughs> like um i i am curious just looking at your list is how how good has pure steel paladin been because i was unimpressed with it but I'm curious how you felt about it. So Pure Steel Paladin is useful for really two things. Um, <laughs> one is if you do need to equip one of your equipment to something prior to combat for whatever reason, not necessarily Helm of the Host, but mm-hmm. you want to, I don't know, it comes up. Um, that's a useful ability to be able to do that for zero. Okay. Uh, the, the original, <laughs> the original intent that's not in there anymore is um, the uh, blood forged battle axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because <clears throat> unlike SRAM, the pure steel paladin is, is triggered by equipment entering the battlefield. So, Oh. Basically, <laughs> what happens yeah, is hilarious. Bloodforge Battle Axe <laughs> will double itself every time, and you draw a card for every single copy that comes into play. So right. it that very very quickly, um, exponentially, in fact, uh, yeah. goes out of hand. So I, that uh, was the I, main reason for having it. <clears throat> okay, I think I literally cut it from my list this morning <laughs> before recording. So it was it was almost in there for me as well. It's just like it, it, it's one of those things where I guess in my list, my list is less like hammer time and more like blue white X control. And so right. like I'm only playing, let's see, one, two, three, four. Wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah. So five, if you include Humble Host equipment in my equipment center deck. Now, granted, I also have what is it like? four or five tutors for the equipment. So like I'm getting the ones that I want. Um, Another angle that I had was like I said, with Oswald Fiddlebender. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. could, you, you know, take one, uh, you take a mox and then you basically pod it into an equipment draw card. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And then if you have a means of untapping him, I, which I used to have in the list, um, then you could, you know, pod away that equipment for another equipment, draw another card. And, you know, it's just the, a lot of little incremental advantage that adds up over time. I think also a a big distinction here is that like you're on blue Cal, right? So like our card advantage is a lot harder to get just naturally going through the deck. It's not like we have Timna in the commands or anything like that. So we, we have to kind of like take alternate means for something like that, as opposed to you get Ristic and Mystic and yada, 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 yada. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That is very fair. And that is partially why I like, um, like if you look at this list, this, I mean, what is it? It's, uh, 38% blue, 29% white, 13% red. It is very much a blue white deck. Um, that has red doesn't cards sound in like it. You. <laughs> What'd you say? So that doesn't sound like you at all. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the way this deck kind of evolved really is, is it kind of evolved out of the, um, the Ojitai dragon Lord Ojitai deck that I was playing for a mm-hmm. while. And yeah. this was, Oh, Arden's really good because I was playing that in the 99 of, of Ojitai. And, uh, I was like, man, Arden's really good. What is a big beater? If only there was another five mana flying card advantage engine. (laughs) That that also gives me access to red. And I was like, hey, Crom, come here. (laughs) Uh, Getting to play Dockside. I mean, it's effectively the same deck, right? Like you just Mm -hmm. like you just get access to Dockside and Ragavan, um, which is totally poggers. Um, (laughs) Ian, back to you. Mm hmm. Uh, what are some key cards in your list? Um, hmm. Key cards, I guess the, so to, to, to understand the list, I think, first of all, like you go to the artifacts, we have 22 of them. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those decisions are definitely informed by the fact that not a lot of them, a good amount of decisions are informed that we have Urza Saga mm-hmm. um, to be able to fetch a lot of stuff in the deck like a lot like a lot of things in this deck um right we have i i guess it's for this deck the key cards are more key archetypes right so we we need our like pieces to get going we have an aggressive amount of stacks like a, as someone who plays a lot of stacks this is a lot of stacks <laughs> you know yeah. um not only the rule of law facts but tangle wire trinosphere Containment Priest, Graft Digger is Linvala. Um, I think not Cursed Totem because I have some activated abilities. Uh, but just just a very, very heavy density of these things. And so the idea is really to like slam as many of these pieces that we don't care about <laughs> right. as possible. Um, and then to get kind of to, to smacking and or to go to wing. So obviously our combo is super important. Um, any of the unconditional tutors are very important. Uh, you mentioned search for glory. It's a great way to get go to. It's a great way to get a bunch of legendary permanents in the deck. Um, <laughs> uh, very interesting uh, legendary equipment. That's actually really good here. And people are probably going to flame the comments for is Lucille, uh, being the bat of one Negan from the walking dead. Um, 
The downside of that card is its quip cost, but giving any creature plus two O menace and the fact that it makes a person sacrifice a creature when it just attacks. Like, right. oh, and you get to make a two two. Like, that's just so much value for basically what you're paying is two mana when you have your commander out. Yeah, so you pay two mana, you get evasion, get a power buff, make them sacrifice the thing, and it creates bodies. Yeah, in in a situation in which you're like trying to stacks out the game, that is an insane amount of value. Um, As somebody who's played a lot of Arden, <laughs> like you will have your commander on the board on yeah. turn one, pretty often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little surprised you guys weren't playing Bloodforge Battleaxe. I feel like that's just so good with Arden. Uh, I, so go ahead, Gobble. I was gonna say I originally was, but. I removed it just to kind of focus more on the either the the pieces that were kind of like instantaneously turning a threat like like for instance um hammer or belt those mm-hmm. things are right. you know right off the bat they're giving something plus 10 plus 10 um or the things that provide cover. So sort of fire and ice or commanders. Uh, it's the equipment that costs one that gives it protection from whatever is not near color plate. identity. Yeah. Commander's yes. plate, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Bloodfire battle axe is, it is great because it, you know, multiplies, but I mean, really it's like, okay, if I if I wait, you know, if I swing with it and hit for three turns, I can get it to be as strong as hammer is when it first comes down. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things where the the efficiency just wasn't, you know, what I needed in that space, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think for me, it really came down to card slots. Um, yeah. You know, for me, like I'm playing the least amount of artifacts, I believe, of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, you and Pablo Tide, I believe. Are we? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, the the vast majority of the deck is comprised of removal and <laughs> counterspells. And the reasoning behind that is basically not letting your opponents get to resolve their spells. Uh, And like, I think people are like, oh, counter magic just really isn't that good. You can't answer everything. Correct. Mm -hmm. Which is why I've, like I said earlier, you kind of have to be a little clever because you have to really know what the thing is you need to counter. Mm -hmm. Um, which is the same in blue white control in modern right like you don't just sit there and say no no not until like the late game when you've got like 90 counter spells in your hand after you've you know flipped over a search for as kanta um but like the difference here is the motivation is not to land the threat and then immediately attach something to it it is to land the threat and then use the equipment to do crowd control. And right. I don't think like 
like sort of hearth and home layers really well with like Gilded Drake and uh, home of the host layers really well with Gilded Drake actually as well. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things like that, that, you know, like sort of fire and ice, Jite, skull clamp. I've kind of discussed uh, skull clamp already mm-hmm. where you kind of are using your equipment in a more, I guess, defensive way because I'm like dealing with my opponent's creatures, but you're like offensively using them, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, right. So like you're aggressively using them against your opponents. Um, if there were um, living weapons in this at one point, mm-hmm. I have been taking them in and out for a variety of reasons. And it's been yeah. kind of like, you know, try maybe an extra rule of law. Um, Batter skull is really good in this deck. And Cauldra Complete is also really good in this deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt like those felt more powerful than Bloodforge Battle Axe. Especially right. when you come down and you just <laughs> activate the ability of like Stoneforge Misket and you just lay down a giant creature with, you know, ability yeah. soup. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so that is one thing that is in the deck sometimes. It depends on my mood. But yeah. Um, yeah, Bloodforge Battle Axe, I just didn't have space for and mm-hmm. didn't feel like it made as big as an impact as some of the other stuff I could be playing. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, one other you card I want to shout out. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Ian, you had uh, mentioned before that Winota was a very late addition to your list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have you goldfished it since putting Winota in? Uh, no. And, I, and I'm asking that. <laughs> Uh, specifically because of Grafdigger's Cage and, and Containment, containment Priest. Yep. Yep. Uh, would you revise things or would you kind of accept that internal uh, inconsistency? Yeah, maybe. I, so Containment Priest was, I think, literally the last thing I added to this deck. So like, I, I, I think I'm okay with the Grafdigger's Cage anti-synergy specifically because I think Grafdigger's is very good against almost everything in the format. Maybe containment priest doesn't need to be there. Like that feels like an unnecessary addition. I, I think containment priest is a good card, but I think I would rather have Winota than containment priest in the deck. And I think the smart choice is to choose between one of the two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I also did realize this like halfway through the recording and I was like, oh, I'll bring that up at some point. How <laughs> <laughs> will beat you to it. Yep. Yep. Um, one thing I was going to say was, uh, I think tangle wire is actually really interesting in a deck full of equipment, uh, because of the fact that equipment don't care if they're tapped or untapped. Yeah. (laughs) Um, same thing thinking about cards like Urza, um, you know, I mean, or other synergies in which, uh, equipment being tapped is actually an advantage. Um, tangle wire is obviously the one that like kind of fits with what we're doing the most, like seamlessly but it is an interesting thought process to kind of think about like what can i mess with in this that would turn like an equipment into something i can use and also uh either a an anti tangle wire piece or with urza like a mox like you know there's some interesting thought processes there when when we look at your list cobble you've got like a lot of different stuff going on you know you're decks are notoriously complex and interesting. What are some of the key cards 
in this list? I would say first and foremost, rule of law and all of the rule of law variants. I think yeah. I'm running all of them that, that are in can. the colors, right? Yeah. Um, and we had talked before about the, the different flavors of rule of law, where there's the aggressive mulligan until you have a rule of law in your opening hand versus rule of law being part of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And um, this is leaning a little bit closer to the aggressively try to find a rule of law to have in your opening hand. Um, If you've got an opening hand where you're able to, (coughs) you know, get some other types of hate onto the battlefield early, um, then I I think that that's perfectly fine as well. Like a turn one Dranith magistrate is not bad at all. And uh, it's there, there's, there's flexibility, but most of the kind of what we want to be doing is going to be predicated around taking opponents off of their desired game uh, environment. So, because we know that we're not going to race people. So (laughs) what we need to do is we need to get people to be playing by our rules. And in order to do that, you know, we're, we got to get, rule of law effects onto the board and try to keep them onto the board. Yeah. In addition to the rule of law, I would say a birthing pod, obviously there, there's a lot of kind of uh, blood pod. I would say feelings that are, that are happening here mm-hmm. where, you know, once you've got, you know, a dork on the board or something like that, and you have an extra dork or whatever, you know, turning those dorks into Dranath Magistrates and Ether Sworn Canonists or Stoneforge Mystics is, is very useful. And being able to kind of walk your creatures up the ladder to get the things that are most impactful, um, it's, it's very, very useful. So, you know, maybe you got your Stoneforge onto the battlefield and you, you know, it's, it, it triggered and... You know, maybe it doesn't have a whole lot of use anymore because you're not going to be drawing into a lot of equipment. You know, being able to to convert that into, you know, a ranger, uh, Captain of Aeos or Yisan or a combat celebrant or a Archon of Ameria. You know, it's having the flexibility to do all that stuff without actually casting anything um, is 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 really important to the deck to be able to just continuously be able to respond to the changing circumstances of the board's texture. Being um, able to use one of your dorks to pod into a Stoneforge mystic is honestly the hottest <laughs> thing I can imagine. And right, then you great. can use the equipability on your next turn, equip it to the thing you want, and then you can still pot away the Stoneforge mystic, go get right something else Archon of America. Yeah. Like that's really sweet. I love that line. Right. And I mean, obviously Tana is a, is a, I mean, it, it should go without saying, but Tana's very, very important to the deck just because, um, she creates sapperlings and, um, like what you want to be doing. I mean, you, you, you want to have 
Tana on the battlefield and you want to put a Colossus hammer on her, you want to swing and get 12 Sapperlings and then you want to play Winota the next turn and attack with all the Sapperlings and get 12 Winota triggers. That's living the dream that <laughs> you want to be doing with this deck. It's, so, it's really cool because I, I, I think this is the first deck that I've really seen people use Tana in a meaningful way. Um, right. Because like most of the time you see Tana paired with anything, really, it feels like Tana is just there because it has red and green. Right. Like this, this feels like you're really using Tana to like her max potential. Right. There, there's also I mean, we've got Skull. Oh, I forgot Tana has Trample. That's yes. gross. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Disgusting. That is huge. Indeed. Well, because normally it's a two-two with trample. Who gives a crap? Because oh. <laughs> I, because well, I was sitting here thinking, I was like, man, you really like people just get in the way of the Colossus Hammer creature because mm-hmm. it doesn't give a trample. And I'm like, wait a second, this has yeah. trample. Excuse me. Um, right. That's by far Tana's probably like the best partner to wear it because trample and yeah. the fact that Colossus Hammer removes flying from other stuff so it's it's probably the best partner to be able to wear that card yeah what what's also nice about this particular pairing is that um normally in Winona lists you need to very very carefully calibrate the human to non-human ratio of your creatures but right. because of the fact that both of my partners that are in the command zone are non-humans and one of them generates non-humans that allow that frees things up to be able to have a higher human density in the 99 or the 98 uh, because you know that you're kind of always going to have access to things that are going to be triggering Winota. And you know that if you can increase the density of humans, that means that you will connect more often with those Winota triggers. So it helps the deck along quite a bit. God, that's so sexy. That's beautiful. <laughs> God. Yeah, there's, uh, there's been a lot of talk for a very long time that if Winota was Naya, that card would be, despite it already being kind of fundamentally a broken magic card, it would be insane. <laughs> and I mean, it, it goes without saying that, you know, Tana does very well with skull clamp. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tana does very well with Toski and with mm-hmm. Orin Frostfang. Yep. You know, so it <clears throat> there's just kind of layers upon layers of how she is kind of central to yeah. the game. And this how is she, probably my favorite like Tana deck period. I think I've never seen Tana like used as well as it is used when you put Arden in the other command zone. Yeah. Yeah. I like because it's even in like Blood Pod in the the timnatana lists like mm. in it does layer with timna but yeah. i don't think it layers nearly <laughs> as well right no, like yeah. this is just yeah this is beautiful mm-hmm. um i i really like the direction you went with that um as we look at some of the more techie options uh, that are in your in your lists Ian. what are what is some of the like the hot spice you know what's some of that cayenne? okay maybe maybe cayenne's a bad thing because that shows how wide i am um <laughs> what's some of the the spice you're throwing in there or is it the ghost pepper yeah. yeah yeah um 
let's see here. Uh, we already talked about Search for Glory, great card. Um, Urza Saga is stupidly powerful in this deck. Yes, it just it has such good synergy. Weathered Wayfarer um, is, I, I think, pretty solid in a deck where you want to get Urza Saga and Urza Saga I'm on Cavern of Souls. Yes, I am on Cavern of Souls as yeah. well. So making your creatures uncounterable, specifically Godo, Cough Cough, uh, <laughs> uh, seems really good. Um, let's see here. As I already talked about Lucille, Lucille's absolutely insane. Specifically, this one deck. <laughs> Um, Cathar Commando, I think, is just really strong when you're so going insane on these rule of law effects. It's good mm-hmm. if you don't have like green for that type of like permanent base removal. Um, so is think- Expedition Map just getting like Urza Saga, or is it also getting like Cavern? Urza Saga, Cavern of Souls. Um, okay, mostly Urza Saga. I think Urza Saga is just kind of maybe broken you know, magic card. Watching too many people. <laughs> play hammer time or whatever but <laughs> i yeah. think Urza saga is really good in a list that works around it right but like it, yeah when, when when it works it works really really well and this is a list where it works really really well um yeah just having the option to get blood force battle axe uh colossus hammer or like graph digger's cage the just three of the potential options there are already enough for me to be like oh oh wow that's crazy <laughs> yeah, right. even mana crypt right like it's it's it does enough to accelerate you um i think kunoros is a really good card in this list we don't really care about our graveyard it has the right amount of evasion where combat becomes very troublesome for your opponent and if you're suiting it up with a bunch of equipment it can kind of get out of hand really fast um Mm -hmm. and that was definitely one of those cards where they're like well if the meta warps around graveyards then kunoros might be a pretty good card and now the meta's a little bit warped around graveyard. So I think it's a pretty good card. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so one of the things that I think is really interesting about your list is that mm-hmm. had I done Arden with vile smasher, my first thought would have been to do obviously the Goto combo as your win con, but do mm-hmm. a reanimator package so that you could do it quickly. If that makes sense. Um, huh. I okay. that's that was because I've thought about it before. And so when I saw you were doing Mardu, I was like, oh, maybe you did that. And then you went hate Bear City. Um, yeah. You know, like, did you just not think about that or was that like very intentional? You want to be playing like a stacks? I list? didn't think about that. But that being said, I can't imagine that archetype, despite being a faster version of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. The th- things it would lose stacks wise i don't think make it fast enough that it could ever race the scary things of the format and i think arden godo is an attractive combo to me personally because of the fact that it breaks parity on a ridiculous amount of stacks right and so kind of going and creating this like halfway deck in which you still can't play interaction and you're like the more things you play like Entomb and Reanimate and stuff like that, the less likely you are to want to play things like Rule of Law. And then suddenly you're losing Grafticus Cages and your Rule of Law and Rest basically saying, hey, opponents, yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't do anything. <laughs> right. So <laughs> what's happening on this board here? Um, so that would be my intention. It would, it would just be like, or, or my impression of, of that would right. be like, I, I don't for, really for- see what it's doing that it would be above and beyond to like push it into the cdh realm. right right 
for what it's worth, I originally had Goblin Welder and Goblin Engineer mm-hmm. in the first iteration of the list. Yeah. And um was running the living weapon uh mm-hmm. creature non creatures that uh we talked about a little bit earlier. And um those allow you to kind of get around the they they allow you to make Grafdigger's cage uh, asymmetric because they're living weapons, but they're not creatures. So they can enter the battlefield mm-hmm. from the graveyard and then become creatures or, you know, become equipped to a germ or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to turn a treasure token into a cauldra complete is, is very much better than having to like do all the reanimation stuff and, or, yeah, you know, yeah. casting it or whatever. Right. Um, that said, and it doesn't require black because <laughs> right. you can do all that stuff in red. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessary. There's enough other things that can get you all of the value yeah. without the, yeah. um, that more smoothly where these other things I think are a little bit too bumpy to be consistent. Yeah. And I also think like when you're not playing card advantage in the command zone, there is a much higher burden of what your cards need to be able to do. Um, like what, like the impact of each individual card has to be higher or you need to be playing a deck full of card advantage engines. So when you go into the reanimate, I think there's a reason that like every reanimator deck in our format is in blue. And I think it's obviously black because you know you need black, but <laughs> right. But like I think there's a reason that they tend to be that, and that's because you need to be able to like you have your entomb, you have your reanimation piece, you have protection for it on top of all of that, and I think you need all of those separate pieces, and to be able to keep and and keep up with the game and like be able to fight off countermeasures, be able to fight off win attempts, any of those things. I think it takes mm-hmm. a lot of card advantage to be able to play that strategy, which you can't get in Mardu with this deck. <laughs> Right. But Tim, no, the commands are a little different, but <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really have any tech in my list, I guess. <laughs> uh, my, uh, we were talking about this pre pre-show and I'm like, I don't know how to say maybe the most techie piece is winds of abandon, which I've been yelling about for a while, but <laughs> even then it fits into the deck really well. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's one of those things where um, I'm I'm like, I, I don't know that I have any spicy tech. It's just, yeah, here's Arden and Krom and 98 good cards that work <laughs> with this and counter spells and just a bunch of good cards, you know, classic Callahan magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cobble, when we look at yours, some very, you know, some of the tech that you go into it, I did see that you had Basilisk Caller in the list, and that explains, I was staring at the Goblin Sharpshooter (laughs) in your list, and I was like, what is this there for? And then I realized. Um, So explain some of the tech that you're running in in your deck here. Right. A lot of this isn't necessarily tech. It's just stuff that might not be immediately apparent when you first glance at the list mm. and yeah. is just kind of little nuances that help you to 
get the most out of the pieces that are available to you. Mm. So yes, there's definitely a sharpshooter and basilisk collar combo because the sharpshooter has death touch. Um, anything that it deals a damage to is going to die and it will be able to untap so that you can do an asymmetric board wipe uh, perpetually as long as you want and you gain life for each damage that you do as well. Um, the Goblin Sharpshooter was originally in there because I was doing uh, Kiki Jiki in the original iteration mm-hmm. and um, was just one of those things that was, you know, part of the equation. But the Sharpshooter does enough work, even without Basilisk Collar, given the density of Hate Bears and Dorks that we have in the, the metagame right now uh, to warrant hanging around um outland liberator is very similar ian was talking about cathar commando Mm -hmm. um outland liberator is kind of like cathar commando as at the floor um because it's a it's a werewolf and werewolves do very well in Mm -hmm. winota lists that have rule of law um because it's a human, so it can be found with Winota. And then once you're able to get it to flip, then no one is going to cast more than one spell per turn. So it will stay in the werewolf form kind of, mm-hmm. per, you know, perpetually. And uh, the, you know, the flip side of Outland Liberator destroys an enchantment or an artifact whenever it attacks. So it's... A, a significantly stronger effect. I feel like dipping and, into Naya lets with the Winota strategy lets you get way more of like utility out of the werewolf creatures. Yes. yes it's an insane amount for sure. Um I I still think that Outland Liberator is probably like the sweet spot. I think it's the best one. Mm-hmm. Um and what, what you, did you consider Avabrook caretaker at all? I did, but so there's only so many six drops that you can actually hit. Such a meme. No, I like. (laughs) I get it. I get the card. I feel like Rebel and Pago have been talking about this card. I'm like, it's six freaking mana, y'all. Like, it's so much. (laughs) And and, I mean, I have I have three six drops in this list. Yeah, and you know that is that 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 comes with. You know, great trepidation. I, tr- you know, but really, there's a a very intentional purpose for each of these three. None of them are there, kind of whimsically, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, well, I can talk about that now. <laughs> so <laughs> we we talked about uh, you know reanimation for Godo to be able to more deterministically make the Godo combo happen. Um, with survival of the fittest and the 30 creatures that we have in the list, um, it's very easy to have a dork um, activate survival twice and throw the dork in the yard and get Godo, throw Godo in the yard and get loyal retainers, play the retainers, sacrifice them, put Godo onto the battlefield, Godo triggers, goes and gets helm, and you attack and you win. So Retainers for Godo. Uh, okay, I was wondering why retainers was in this that's list. That's <laughs> real sick. <laughs> yep, that's pretty cool. Um, but, I mean, also, there's there's plenty of other 
I mean, retainers just as a means of getting back something that was important that you lost, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Kadama or whatever, uh, also very, very useful. Mm -hmm. Um, Sigarda's aid is a great card. Um, it allows your auras and your equipment to be cast as though they had flash. And whenever you have an equipment enter the battlefield, you can just attach it to something as part of entering the battlefield. Uh, that is very useful for, mm-hmm. you know, for efficiency, you know, being able to, uh, be able to cast things and not have to worry about the equip costs. If for whatever reason, someone's dealt with your Arden, but, uh, more importantly, being able to break parity with rule of law mm-hmm. and, you know, cause you, you, when you're under the rule of law, you have to kind of prioritize, you know, how am I going to get this important hate bear onto the battlefield, but also get this important equipment onto the battlefield as well. And being able to just put all those equipment, you know, in with flash is, is it frees you up to have much better throughput and be able to break that parity. Right. Um, It doesn't dawn on people very often, but you know, if you put a Colossus hammer on Esper Sentinel, people will generally (laughs) not pay the, they, they typically don't pay the 11. No kidding. (laughs) Um, Um, So I have a, I have a question for both of you um, mm-hmm. as I'm looking at everybody's lists is none of us put any auras in our lists. And I, I, I'm curious if anybody, I, I know why I didn't, but like, I'm curious what your guys's thoughts were. If you considered any, you know what the thought process was on that. There were multiple that I considered. Um, one was curse of opulence, which is, it's, uh, an aura for the red curse, right? Right. It's a single mana that basically generates a treasure, but they, I think they call it a gold or is it actually a treasure? No, it's a treasure. Uh, no, it's a gold. Is it? It's a gold. Um, Oh, I was, I'm thinking of the new one. Um, curse of, uh, hospitality. Right. Um, but anyway, it's a one mana, um, aura that you can stick on an opponent and Mm -hmm. attack them. And then whenever anybody else attacks them, you continue to get gold. And it was one of those things where it, it helped a lot when I had a fiddle bender in the list to be able to, you know, sack it away, sack it away and go and throw one of the equipment onto the battlefield. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it's usefulness was, you know, not not huge. I have less need for ramp, especially since we have access to Guy's Cradle, um, than we do for consistently putting threats onto the battlefield that can either remove opponents' uh, pieces or that can create, you know, stacks effects that make yeah. the enemies have uh, more challenges. Instill energy also was one of the, th- the things that I that I put on originally, uh, just because it allows you to untap your it it gives a haste ish ability, which confuses everybody because instill energy does not give haste. Um, even 
if the printing of the card that you're using says equip or you know enchanted creature has haste that's not true it can attack as though it has haste but it can't be activated the first turn that it comes down um interesting <laughs> that that is really irritating um it's the most unintuitive wording of all time right. so i i had that i had originally put it on there so that i could attack with certain creatures the turn that they came down mm-hmm. um but also have the ability to, if Yisan came down or Oswald Fiddlebender came down or something like that, being able to, you know, activate them twice. Those were useful abilities. Um, but again, it's it's one of those things where if if a, that creature dies, then well, okay, that aura is lost. Where mm-hmm. equipment doesn't have that liability. Yeah, I had I had keen sense for a similar reason and for a similar reason it eventually just got shuffled away because equipment's better. Yep. Uh so podium soapbox moment about auras. Uh they so first of all, I mean, there's not enough auras that are like I would say pushed to be in a position where you can really abuse them in the way that we'd want to. The other thing is like so <laughs> For example, skull clamp is a removal equipment that you can use over and over again. But right. even if you wanted to use a more uh, removal based aura, Kenrith's there are answers things like yeah, Kenrith, Stark Steel, stuff like that. But the other ones that are more common and more popular tend to be like the minus X minus X ones, which you can't get back because then they just go right to the graveyard. So like mm-hmm. Dark Steel is probably the one that is okay. It's a removal piece once, but then if you move it. It's suddenly, first of all, it takes up your whole Arden activation for the turn. And it's just getting one thing removed as opposed to another. And yeah, there are some synergies there, but like not enough. The other thing is that Arden allows you to gain advantage by not paying mana mm-hmm. into the equip costs. When you're playing an aura, you don't have that. Like there's there, you are not gaining any mana advantage by using auras with Arden. Unless specifically there is an aura that says like when this is is when this is enchanting one thing, it does one thing at the beginning of the turn or something like that. And then it would jump over to another one. But a lot of the auras don't do that. And the equipments have that stickiness, that redundancy and have their equip costs reduced, Yeah, which is why you see us talking about cards like, for example, when I was talking about Lucille or talking about Colossus Hammer, right? Because that's a one mana spell that normally has a 10 mana equip investment or the the belts that you were talking about as well. But the these small investment big payoff equipments are way better with arden yeah mm-hmm. but auras are the same there's yeah, no cost benefit there's none of that this is something that i've kind of thought about a lot is um in uh i know in whimsy's version of uh what was it of uh Dragon Lord Ojitai, he plays Sentinel Eyes, and I think that's the only one he plays for that. Um, mm-hmm. When and I think it makes sense in that because it gives like um, Ojitai vigilance. vigilance. Um, but the the it issue also I kept can running, be rebought. Yeah, in and I think that's where like if I were to consider one, it'd be like Sentinel Eyes. And when I mm-hmm. kept looking for potential auras to play, I specifically were like if they have flashback or if they have. I'll, None would have flashback, I guess, if they had escape, like but yeah. escape on them. Um, and none really did that outside of mm-hmm. Sentinel Eyes that I thought were worth playing. 
And yeah, it's like that and like Griff Spoon, basically. Right. And part of my biggest thing was is so I'm only playing 10 creatures, so I'm not moving things around a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm doing mm-hmm. it when I want to equip a particular creature or if I want to yeah. snipe somebody's creatures. Right. And using that Arden ability on something that was not gaining me advantage felt mm-hmm. like a waste of an Arden ability. Um, yeah. So Agreed. Th- there was, there was just nothing like I looked at some of the curses and then I was just like, I feel like that's just going to make me like the table enemy. If I play too many curses or if I mm-hmm. you know, like, eventually they'll figure out that they have to deal with, me because I'm the person who controls the curse. Um, So it's like, I feel like the only curse really worth playing in CEDH that I've even seen is the red one. And that's just because it's a one mana thing. It refunds itself. And then, yeah, that's also, I've seen that in like Corvald, which is like treasure synergies, sure. Or gold. Yeah. In that sense. But like, you know, I I could see curses, but, but it's like the same thing is let's say they kill that player before you have a chance to, Mm-hmm. get back around to move it off of yep you know you're suddenly without it and you have no way of playing it again so it's it's just yep. i think the the aura side of it is the the weakest part of it but i was curious mm-hmm. to see if you guys thought of any or or considering yeah. any um for for a for a while i justified the auras that i was running um, because I was running Sigarda's aid, mm-hmm. so I could cast them with flash and you know not lose my my tempo with with right. rule of law. Right. And uh, but then again, that kind of requires you. You know, it's that's predicated on you having Sigarda's aid, and I don't want to go and look for Sigarda's aid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it it gives you value when you find it, but you don't want to have to have that as a crutch. To be able to yes. enable other cards in your deck. Right. Agreed. Yeah. The the one last thing that I wanted to to get in uh is is Kadama and why Kadama. I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so um we've got multiple ways to get Kadama onto the battlefield. We've got the loyal mm-hmm. retainers, we've got Eldritch Evolution, got finale, you know, those kind of things. And mm-hmm. we're not hurting for mana. If you can have Tana on the battlefield and Gaia's cradles, you're never going to hurt for mana. Yep. Uh, but because of the rule of law, you know, we're, we're always looking for different ways that we can take our, our, our rule of law and break parody. Kadama, when you've got Tana on the battlefield, uh, Kadama will trigger for all of those sapperlings that come into play. Mm-hmm. So, if you've got, you know, one of the, the big draw engines, either uh, the Squirrel or Orzov or, or the Orin Frostfang, um, mm-hmm. and you happen to have a whole bunch of, you know, cards in hand, you draw a whole bunch of cards and then put the, the, the Sapperlings onto the battlefield. Kadama will see those Sapperlings and you can then put all of those lands onto the battlefield untapped. Um, Yisan lets you double up because you know you go and you find a creature <laughs> put it onto the battlefield and then you put something from your hand onto the battlefield <laughs> as well and Winota is the same way 
you know, Winota triggers some number of times because you've got, you know, Tana on the battlefield and you mm-hmm. swing with 12 sapperlings. Um, every one of those creatures that enters the battlefield, if you've got Kadama in play, is also going to allow you to put something from your hand onto the battlefield. All right. of these things are allowing you to skirt the negative impact and create an asymmetry with the rule of law, which we're already designed to get the most out of rule of law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you can act as if rule of law is not even on the battlefield, um, it is hugely impactful. Right. Very interesting to see all the directions that we've kind of taken these, um, but to, to really dig deep into that, um here as we go into the next part is looking at the deck comparisons um so starting off with the artifact section uh stuff that we all have are chromox helm of the host jewel lotus mana crypt mox diamond skull clamp soul ring sort of fire and ice in umazawa's jute and i feel like it's pretty easy to explain why we all have <laughs> those cards in the deck right like those all kind of make sense Best mana good artifacts yeah very good equipment um yeah, for sure ian and i both have grim monolith mana vault mm-hmm. um you and cobble both have colossus hammer and conquerors flail uh yeah. loaded and lotus petal and cobble mm-hmm. and i both have sword of hearth and home what was for you ian not like the decision to not play sword of hearth and home I I don't know why you guys are playing it. <laughs> are you kidding? I I, no, I have no idea why you guys are playing that um, card. No idea. So with me, uh, it's absurd. So you get Gilded Drake out. You attack with any, literally any creature. It deals combat damage. You flicker your Gilded Drake, steal another creature. Okay. So like Gilded Drake, Dockside, Stoneforge. Yeah, like it's incredibly okay. powerful. And then, yeah, I just Pobble, don't think I imagine I, I, you have yeah. some ETB effects you wouldn't mind doubling up on. Exactly. It's for Stoneforge, uh, Imperial Recruiter, Ranger Captain of Aos, Recruiter of the Guard. You know, there's just a Godo. <laughs> right. There's a whole yeah. bunch of things where being able to swing and and flicker one of those ETBs is right. going to give you a lot of value. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think I just, I have two or three cards that flicker and give me value in my entire list. So I'm right. just, that's fair. And yeah. <laughs> with Kadama, <laughs> with Kadama, you can <laughs> that's swing very true. Yeah. and you flicker yeah. your recruiter and mm-hmm. stack the triggers because the re- recruiter oh, yeah. came into the battlefield and then put the yep. thing that it found right onto the battlefield without casting it. Yep. So, um, so there. I'm looking at the creature list. So I only have 10 creatures. So the stuff we share, uh, everybody has yeah. Aven Mind Sensor, <laughs> uh, Draineth Magistrate, Esper Sentinel, Aether Swarm Cannonist, Goto, and Stoneforge Mystic. Um, and Archon and of Myria. Yeah. And Archon of Myria. Um, Sorry, I guess I scrolled down slightly too far on the spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so I got to 
have a conversation with you, Cobblepot. Um, why in God's name are you not playing Dockside? Because it's a stacks list. And at the end of the day, I, I don't need the mana. It's I. So the original iteration of the list had Ragavan. Mm-hmm. It had Dockside. Um, it even had Smothering Tithe. Uh, but through iteration, those three pieces were less and less necessary, especially once Oswald Fiddlebender left the list as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where mana, and and this could be anecdotal, but in testing, the the choice between having Dockside in hand versus having Archon of Ameria in hand or having um, Winota in hand or something like that. So let's say that we're under rule of law and I've got a Dockside and I've got Winota. Which one do I want to cast? It's like, well, if you cast the Dockside, that will in the future allow me to cast other things, but now I've committed my turn to casting Dockside and that's it versus casting Winota and then attacking and getting several more pieces onto the battlefield. It it's, it's one of those things where there's a point where, and I, because I can't really get that much value out of recurring it. Cause I'm not doing, you know, besides the sword of, of hearth and home, I'm not, I can't bounce my Dockside. I can't clone my Dockside. I can't reanimate my Dockside. So there's a point where the dockside is like a lotus petal. And it's just something where you're under a rule of law and you don't want to waste your your cast on something that is just going to get you a resource that you already have plenty of. And like, I know that people are going to flame me and go ahead, bring it. But <laughs> that is my rationalization for not having it. I guess when you compare it to like your engines of your deck, right? That then that logic checks out. But like and when you compare it to something like a goblin sharpshooter or like basilisk collar, I I don't know that any of those pieces or or like I don't know. I could go through and pick like the cards that are like not the main parts of what your deck's trying to do here. Sure. And to me, like a card like Dockside does way more work than any of this stuff like that. So the the sharpshooter has remained in because it's one of the reliable ways for removing other permanents mm-hmm. that I, so I don't have access to mayhem devil and I don't have access to, uh, you know, Chatterfang or to, uh, what's Wait, the tiefling? Playing. Um, the tiefling that oh grim hireling yeah, yeah, right yeah. grim hireling um but you're playing like i mean you're playing swords already i could easily see you being on something like path or a number of other like right actual <laughs> spells yeah again those require casting it's it's one mm-hmm. of those where trying to focus on getting value without having mm-hmm. to to spend your cast for the turn i think my um, only issue with your rationale i i I think i i get i like i get what you're saying i think my only issue with it is it assumes you have mana which in my Mm -hmm. experience isn't always how it works especially in decks 
where your uh, artifact count is a little bit lower on like mm-hmm. your mana rock count. Because like I mean, your mana rock count is pretty slim. You're running one, two, three, four, five, six rocks, uh, and on twenty nine mm-hmm. lands. And I guess you're playing dorks, but like I I think that it your argument makes sense on the axis that it assumes that you have mana available to do things. But I think that the advantage of Dockside is like the, the advantage to Dockside in my opinion is especially an early game acceleration where you don't have rule of law out. You are, you know, you have three mana and you're able to, you don't have a rule of law in hand and you're able to slam down your Tana. Um, like, I think that it enables enough of your other strategies that I think it's, I I still think it's worth including, but I, I understand your rationale. And like I had, like we talked before about the different flavors mm-hmm. of rule of law, we are aggressively trying to get a rule of law early you know, turn one if possible, mm-hmm. in which case the the efficacy of having Dockside under those circumstances, the value that it that it produces is less because you have to prioritize. Also triggers that. Winota though too. Like also it has that like it, it it serves it can wear more hats than makes mana. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. I, like I get what you're saying. I was just very curious because I, I was looking at your list and I was very surprised to not see Dockside. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So I'm sure people will have opinions on that. Oh, I'm sure um, they will. People on the internet with strong opinions. Come on. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, so looking at your list now, Ian, you mm-hmm. you and Cobble are both playing Mother of Runes, but you're also playing Giver of Runes. Um, what's kind yeah. of the the thought process because I've considered them myself. Um, but you know, what's the thought process behind really kind of going, you know, hammer time on us. Uh, you know, what really sucks is when you have an ardent ability and you target a creature and your opponent goes in response, I will cast a chain of vapor targeting that creature. (laughs) (laughs) Or for example, uh, you are, you have an opponent locked out because you have a ranger captain on board and they go, on the end step before my turn, I'm going to bounce your ranger captain. And it's nice mm-hmm. to go, I'm going to tap my creature. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yep. I just, I mean, I, I, even in Winota, there was a while where I like, wasn't playing mother of runes because I was like, I, I it's one of those things where it's like flipping it sucks. It does. And it does, it, it does suck when you flip it over, but, um, because it doesn't do anything that turn. Right. And it's you know, the mentality of immediacy, right? Like, what does that do? However, it's just it's such a powerful effect. You, the the combo is creature based, right? Like I'm playing a thing that will grab a Cavern of Souls or an Earth Saga because of that, right? And being able to protect it on multiple axes because people are playing a lot of bounce removal, right? That is no matter what they are doing as far as like things like swords or, or whatever path, they're not usually playing those things, but they are almost always playing something that will bounce your creature. Right. The reason why like Godo doesn't have an insane win rate despite it being a very good deck is because people can bounce stuff and they can interact in ways that aren't just counter magic on the stack. 
So no, they can't counter something like a Godo on the stack, but sometimes they can just use a chain vapor or an alchemist retrieval or something like that to get rid of a, a permanent that's important. So especially when you're playing stacks, being able to protect your stacks is definitely something you need to be able to do. And coming down early, usually before the rule of laws makes it a much more attractive option because now you're playing it before you can be limited to one spell a turn. And therefore the the fact that it's so small and so cheap and doesn't take up your whole turn to do in, in like the mid game is, it seems pretty strong. Right. And it's, it's I am, like, it also makes a lot of hands much more keepable, right? Like if you're relying on a single stacks piece, being able to protect that single stacks piece and stop your opponents from like popping off is really strong. Right. And I'm not on giver of runes because mm-hmm. I'm on Sylvan safekeeper. Right. That makes which sense. provides a lot of the same cover uh, without needing to have haste, but it doesn't allow you to gain protection to be able to swing through and mm-hmm. and not be blockable. So it's a trade off, yeah. but I have one of each flavor. Yeah. And Sylvan Safekeeper is completely unexplainably a human. Um, <laughs> instead of an elf yeah which uh it's always helps with the cute one out of synergies yeah the, the amount of things that are just like accidentally human so cool <laughs> it's yep. just a popular i mean it's a popular archetype right it's very easy to make things that are just like oh yeah this is a it's a human with a sword but they do life magic or this is a human that's a that's a rogue or you know and now all these things come together and you're like there's a lot of humans in magic <laughs> there really really are um I'm noticing that you've got a Phyrexian Revoker. Yes. That is a card that I played in Winota. And I think when I was building this list, I used Winota as a reference point. Um, It could easily be like a Pithing Needle because of Ursa Saga. And I was thinking about that when I was looking at the deck. But having a stacks piece that you can put equipment on seems just in general, just like a little bit better. So I, I think, you know, the synergy between Urza Saga and Pithing Needle is just a little bit beaten out by the fact that I can stop something like a Thrasios and then also have it be a 10-10 at some point. <laughs> Potentially, right. yeah. Um, it's interesting because it's just looking at my list, I feel like my list is just so pedestrian compared to your guys's. <laughs> like, uh you know, we, we come down here and we look at the enchantments and my my big differences was I'm playing Mystic Remora, Ristic Study and Counterbalance. Oh, boy. Ooh, spicy. Really, <laughs> really hitting on the edges of what we can do in EDH, guys. Um, <laughs> but really looking at the enchantments, uh, all three of us are playing Deafening Silence. All three of us are playing Rule of Law. Um and then Ian and I are both playing fighter class in rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, cobble, you get to play, you know, some of the good green stuff like carpet of flowers and survival and Sylvan library. Um, Ian, so what's your thoughts on blind obedience? I know that people have a lot of different opinions on blind obedience. What's your, what's your take on how this has been for you? So as we kind of mentioned a couple of times, you know, going through my deck, uh, the amount of stacks in this deck is too damn high. Uh, <laughs> but no, like the idea behind it is just like play, play everything that stops what your opponents are trying to do. Um, 
I play 22 artifacts. So not getting cucked by a Dockside is pretty important. And Blind Obedience helps with that a lot. Yes, they can untap and do it next turn, but that gives you like that. The tempo advantage is huge. Um, also, this morning I was at 99 cards because I had cut a card at one point and forgot to put one in. And I said, you know what? Blind Obedience seems really good. <laughs> so that is why it's in there. <laughs> it's the, the And Charles I had Blind classic. Obedience in my list until the very last moment. So that was mm-hmm. one of the last cuts that I, yeah, that I had in there. So it may well come back. Yeah. So guard is yeah, really interesting a when you're ass. playing <laughs> a lot more of the like utility and big mana or big power and toughness setting artifacts or uh, like equipment equipment. Um, yeah, I definitely, this is definitely before the cast. Yeah, like being able to cast like hammer time for one mana on yep. someone's end step does seem like really good. Or in the middle of combat. Yeah. Like, just using that as a combat trick is pretty cool. <laughs> and to have it go. just equip as part of entering the battlefield. Yeah. yeah. I definitely, I think like if I'm going to make a switch after the, the cast is done recording, it's probably taking out containment piece because of the anti-synergy we talked about earlier and probably putting in Sugarda's aid because I think it just it works really well. Like I'm already just mostly devoted to sorcery speed stuff apart from a couple of cards. So it feels like a pretty safe switch in there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the instant suite. Um, so Ian has seven. Cobble <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. has 11. I have 29. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... <laughs> There's no similarities between our three lists. No, Um, the the big the big similarity is okay. uh, That's not true. There is a similarity. You're not on deflecting. We're all playing enlightened tutor, and we're all playing deflecting. I should be playing deflecting. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah. Okay. Um. So all three of us are on deflecting slot and enlightened tutor. Uh, silence. We're mm-hmm. all on silence and we're all you're not on pyroblastian um, or Reb. I've gone on. I've gone on this tangent too many times on this podcast. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I've been occasionally playing red blast again, but like I'm super low on the blast right now. Um, not that I've had any tournaments to play since the last time I went on this tirade, but it's just. I, I, think we're in a place in the format where there are other one mana options that I would rather be playing. And I'm playing them and the blasts. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. I I mean, that's what's my, my, my list. It's like all the stuff that's different from yours is it's like, yeah, all the counter magic. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cobble and I are both on a braid, which I think a braid Mm -hmm. is just a really good removal spell right now. Um, Yeah. Deals with Najila. That's <laughs> it sounds dumb, but uh it does in fact deal with <laughs> You Nijila. play with Pongo way too much. I do play with Pongo <laughs> way too much. Uh looking at the sorcery suites, um the overlap. I'm surprised you didn't ask me about Tain Impact. <laughs> I mean, I it's forbidden tutor, right? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I figured it would elicit some sort of reaction there, but yeah, no, I mean that when I said at the beginning that I put every tutor capable of my colors in to get Godo, that's, that's what it is. Turn unless you hit helm when you're digging for Godo, then you're big. time really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the sorcery suite, uh, 
the the overlap between us is we're both playing open the all three of us are playing open the armory and steel shapers gift um mm-hmm. Ian and I are both playing search for glory. And then that's where the yep. differences end. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm playing wind winds of abandon. That's my big difference. Ian is on the three black tutors, demonic tutor, diabolic intent, Imperial seal in cobble yep. on eldritch evolution, finale of devastation, scatters or shatter skull smashing. Uh, we're not doing any like groundbreaking stuff with these uh, sorcery suites. Right. You know, these are, yeah, it should probably be on shatter skull, huh? Not a bad idea. Right. I was looking for more ways. (laughs) Yeah. Being able to deal with opposing stacks is something to be intentional about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've I've considered it, but then that means I have to work on finding a slot for it. Okay. So second switch is I literally have a basic mountain and that would be a shadow skull smashing. So there you go, audience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I could probably do something along those lines of like moving one of my lands over into shatter skull smashing. And that would probably be reasonable, but I'm also playing as we look at the lands. um, I'm also playing 10 basic lands in my deck, Mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit of a remnant from when I was on. uh, What was it? Uh, Back to basics in that list. Basics. Yeah. But 32 lands. In uh, your list, Ian, like you're, I thought I was going to be the one coming in here heavy with like the most lands, but no, you beat me out with 32. I mean, I really don't have like, once again, card advantage in the command zone. Mm-hmm. Um, And the curve of this deck is aggressively important. Like being able to go one mana play, probably uh, either a stacks piece or cheap equipment two mana same thing maybe tutor and equipment or something like that and then three mana play arden attach an equipment swing take out your opponent that one two three curve is so aggressively important that i i cannot afford to not be doing that basically so that's that's the 32 lands i mean it's the same amount i play in winota um i think if you're trying to really cripple what your opponents are doing no no to be clear as i mentioned i have 21 artifacts so uh I do have a good amount of acceleration, but even then, like my combo piece is a six mana spell, right? right. So, I it, and I I think mine's the most turbo goto of the of the three oh, lists. Yeah. So I think it's it's very important for me to get there. So, um, looking at some of the stuff that we all have in common, I'm not going to go over like we all have plateau in our list. <laughs> Gee, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> um. But we all three of us are on Urza Saga, which I think speaks mm-hmm. very highly to the ability to grab like Skull Clamp or grab Graft Digger's Cage or, yeah. you know, there's so many good one mana stuff. Like- Colossus Hammer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my original name for this deck list was just going to be Imperial Seal, get Colossus Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the memes. But then I was like, I actually don't know if I'll ever go for that play pattern. <laughs> Yeah. So do you in your list cobble as I'm looking at this have like is Gaia's Cradle just here because Gaia's Cradle's good or do you have like a thing you're doing with it also? Tana. Okay. So so yeah. Gaia's Cradle seal because Gaia, Gaia's Crater I can't speak. Gaia's <laughs> Cradle <laughs> I still can't say it. God damn it. 
Gaia's Cradle is in there with crop rotation. Crop rotation is not just for Gaia's Cradle, but it's for Urza Saga as well. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very often, because there's 30 creatures in the list, right. and because we're running dorks, it is just going to be high value a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah. And was one of the criteria that I used to be able to explain the lack of Dockside because Dockside was in the list originally mm -hmm. um, and being able to reliably I won't people are going to nitpick the word reliably um, but having reasonable access to <laughs> Gaia's Cradle um, when you know you're going to be on Hate Bears and you have Tana in, in the command zone uh, that can deliver a whole lot of flexibility right. in mm -hmm. being able to depend on having the mana resources that you need. So here, here's my kind of like spice question here, Cobble. If you're already like not on Dockside because of the mana things and you're really relying on that like creature land mana, why not play something like Oof, Stony Silence, Null Rod? Um, let me and, see and for those at home who are going to have the gut reaction of because that's not how equipment work yes no I know that right. <laughs> but Arden circumvents those things Arden says who cares so there's a triggered ability the main one is birthing pod yep okay that's already super valid yeah <laughs> so there and there were a, a couple of others but birthing pods the main one yeah. Okay. Um, so you, you're really the birthing pod's like a big focus for you, right? Like I said, it's yeah. it's sort of like a blood pod that has equipment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and smack pod. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, as we kind of get here to the end of the um, episode, you know, what are some of the things that we learned through brewing with? Arden and these these commanders, Ian. I'll kind of throw that over at you first. Was what were some things that you learned about uh, in this process? Um, I I really appreciated how much this deck could break parity on uh, rule off X, and specifically like a lot of stacks more than I was expecting it to. Um, I think there's definitely some synergy with things that are equipments that aren't jankier equipments and the ability to tap them kind of like I was talking about earlier with things mm -hmm. like Urza. I think there's some cute stuff you can do there. Um, and there's a lot of like between Urza saga and, Oh, I can't remember the name of this card. It is blue mana activation it's one in the blue to cast it it's like survival of the fittest but for one mana artifacts oh artificer's intuition bam um between that and urza saga there's an archetype there that is worth looking at that provides a lot of value and urza saga obviously being a lot more like quote free because it's a land is something to to think about but artifice's intuition i feel like always suffered from being by itself but now the fact that there are those two things that exist right now i think that there is some archetypes that can work in that space mm -hmm. um you you know obviously you have to consider the fact that dockside is a thing 
you have to play around that. And if you're playing with a lot of small artifacts, you do feed into that. However, the more small artifacts you're playing with, you're also feeding into the fact that you can start using a lot more acceleration because small artifacts are extremely easy to cast. So there's like a balance there and a lot of like there's a lot of cool fidgety stuff you can work with with within that space. And so that kind of got me excited. Y'all are uh, going to roll your eyes at me, but on the on the note of being able to tap. um, Tap equipment without it impacting anything is inspiring statuary. Yeah, basically yes. giving all of your That's, you get a medium roll for that one. Yeah, you, you get, get a, a roll. You basically give all your spells convoke, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is super fun. Um, yeah, and it's a pseudo mana rock itself because you can mm-hmm. tap it to mm-hmm. add to the all. What does it say specifically? It's um, not a non artifact spells you have or you cast have improvise. So an improvise is, yeah. you know, convoke with artifacts effectively. The um, inability to not cast artifacts and not pay for colored mana costs with that card is very painful. Yes. <laughs> As someone who played a lot with it back in the day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to get real spicy, if mm-hmm. you, you can you can make Goto pretty cheap, pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> That is the thing you can do for sure. <laughs> uh, Cobble, what are some of the things you learned from this, you know, exercise? I would say that this gave me more insight into Winota. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hadn't actually, you know, I've, I've, I hadn't sleeved up boros winota before mm-hmm. and kind of my my first real foray into studying it was as a naya winota basically mm-hmm. and it kind of uh it it revealed a lot of the nuances of what makes winota tick but also kind of stuff that's outside the box of what Winota can do. Cause Winota doesn't have access to green and the things that green brings to that. Um, it's not as fast as, you know, breakneck snowball Winota, but mm-hmm. it is flexible. And well, it's, it's the same reason that like team or Malcolm exists as an archetype is because green gives you like such a redundancy of creature tutors that like right. it really does make it very realistic to like, quote, always have access to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that's kind of the, the, the thing that I, I got out of it was um, being able to kind of appreciate Winota more than I had before. I mean, I mm-hmm. I appreciated it, but there's a different level of appreciation when you, you know, really study something, really, yeah, you know, practice with it and understand why certain things are in there and certain things aren't. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this also gave me appreciation for for Blood Pod a little bit more. And even though I may not carry this list into the future. It Mm -hmm. kind of spawned another list that I'm enjoying 
that mm-hmm. is using some of the, the the things that I figured out in this list. So, um, and that list is being very successful right now. So it's, it, it is, it, it's, this is something that happens often where you look at, you look in one place to, to examine a, and what you find is you're surprised to, to learn B and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that original context where you were looking for a and you found B Mm -hmm. that really doesn't pan out. But if you take B over to this other context, it winds Mm -hmm. up being really good. Yeah. And you wouldn't have found it in that other context because you weren't looking for it over there. You only discovered it over here. And that I think is, you know, kind of one of the foundational aspects of what Brewer's Choice is about. Right. It's Mm -hmm. about not necessarily, you know, making making decks that are going to be CEDH decks, but challenging the, you know, established canon and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. looking and exploring such that we find things that are fragments that can be used in other places to great effect. So could you say that we're the Indiana Jones of CEDH? (laughs) I thought, thought Indiana was the name of the dog. <laughs> well, that marks my He's last appearance on the, the show. show. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say just to jump off of that, one of the things that because just guy Stoneblade was kind of my B when I was looking at a uh, because, you know, I kind of found it through playing Ojitai. Um, and mm-hmm. being like, how do I add red to this? Because if I add red to this, it's just like throwing gasoline on a fire and then just going to town. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of what I learned is that, first of all, I think equipment just in general are a lot better in CEDH than we give them credit for. Um, I think something that Rebel has been yelling about that I agree with her on 100% is that uh, Umazawa's Jate is just a really good magic card and we should be playing it more. Um, and it's a, I think there's an asterisk there, but I, I, I get what I, you're I think in for, like grindy sure. decks, it does a lot yes, of like, in, that's, that's the asterisk. Like yeah. in these grindy <laughs> decks that like hell, like Winota, I am not saying you should play it, but like maybe it's worth playing with. Cause it, it like the, the crowd control on it alone is so good um there there has been an argument for some time for like a stoneforge package in winota yeah. i don't think it's there but it's right something to think about but you know in a lot of this was an experiment as well in the is it possible to build to scale effectively a modern deck into edh um mm-hmm. and i think in using a lot of the practices and I've talked about this before of using a lot of the like same type of heuristics that you use in building a modern deck and using those in building an EDH deck. And I think there is some stuff that we should maybe go back and go back to those classic 
ideas a little bit more because, you know, as I look at like um, a lot of the stuff that's getting played right now, it's like your one graph diggers cage in your deck isn't enough hate, right? Like you Mm -hmm. need to be playing a density of it. If you actually want to be hating on something, Um, you know, you need to look at maybe playing more lands, maybe playing more dorks, maybe playing more counter spells. And I think there is some stuff there that maybe going back in, like, I don't think going all the way to the same proportions is necessarily the correct answer. But I think if you use that and play around with it, it'll lead you in a positive direction is kind of. Yeah, I mean, so for for example, like I when Underworld Breach first came out, right there, there were a very small handful of people playing Breach to its full potential. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was one of the few people who was insisting that LED brain freeze was a necessary component with Breach. And the only reason I insisted upon that was because it had literally just gotten banned out of legacy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a pretty good indicator to me. When stuff in <laughs> legacy gets banned, that's usually a good indicator that it's a good card. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but these were pieces that people were just like, oh, I don't know. Brain freeze is literal garbage. And I was like, yes, it is. But <laughs> this card makes but, it better. <laughs> Yes. Um, and is, sometimes it's just about looking at other formats, right? I mean, that as you mentioned, the uh, the series y'all did that I was a part of uh, was was very instructive uh, in in looking at old things and seeing what the best things to come out of it were. Now, were those all tier one decks? Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> like not even slightly, but they did enough to explore new ideas that it was worth looking at. Right. And I think you said this before where it's like um, through exploring you know, I use as an example, uh, like shadow bag, like maybe shadow bag itself isn't the archetype that gets really good, but you find something in there that works really well. And then that mm-hmm. is the piece that you grab and pull and you go, okay, this is a really good thing that maybe I wouldn't have thought of before. Yes. But yeah, right. That's the process. Well, awesome. Well, Thank you guys for joining me today. Um, it is good to, this was a fun first episode for 22, our first episode of 2022. Um, we should be doing our, if all things go as planned next week, I think next week or in two weeks, we will be doing our um, 2021 CEDH awards, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, oh, I have to record my thing. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> Cobble, it, it's going to be me, Cobble, and Pongo um, are going to be the hosts of the awards. And uh, we've got some great presenters, including Ian. Um, but that will be here in, I want to say, two weeks, I think, if everybody sends me their stuff on time. So uh, keep an eye <laughs> out for that. Uh, Ian, what's going on over on Comedian MTG? Yeah, so I got some stuff going on. I just was featured on a gameplay episode of CDH Brazil that recorded quite some time ago, so that was pretty cool. I just tweeted that one out. Um, on my own channel, I did a recent live brew with Hire from Playing With Power for Satoru Umazawa. That was super cool. We talked about all like the avenues of that deck. Uh, Blue-black Thoracle sneak attacks, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
doing a lot of deck techs lately while the tournament scene is a little bit on the hush hush right now because of we're we're kind of in between tournament season people are well we're receding from their covid holes but now everyone's kind of going back in yeah. uh so tournaments were kind of on a dl for a little minute so i've been doing a lot a lot a lot a lot of deck techs and that's been really fun because uh you know i, I kind of started this format as a brewer and i still enjoy it a lot <laughs> so yeah well as as my constant appearance here yeah, <laughs> would exactly. indicate <laughs> you know we love you um <laughs> well that about wraps things up for us here today just a quick reminder that you can follow us on twitter at sculpty boys b-o-i-s or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the description below want to also give an extra thanks to our patrons uh just to shout out a few of our loyal patrons justin Michael Levine, CZ, Dionichis, James Holly, Jason Bialik, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. Thank you so much. Those are some of our highest tier patrons. Thank you all for uh, supporting the channel and supporting the show. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. If you too would like to become a patron and support this and get some early content, you can head on over to patreon.com slash sculptors or check out the link in the description. This unfortunately will not be coming up early because we had to record this the Friday before it comes out because of, <laughs> uh, you know, the whole holiday season. But with that being said, thank you all for joining us. And from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time. I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep, flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like, even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let up ties in the hearse. I've been on a vibe kind of hard to describe. I'm in between I'm good and it's fine, but I'm tired of the grind. Then I come alive in the night to realize I'm in the middle of the time of my life. I never so packed for the stack. Never lied on the back. Got a bag from the way that I write it. Queen looking Tyson. Do that I survive doing 80 to the house. Then I hit it to the sky. Change haters on a tirade. Talking to the crib in the face. Be still. Let that hate stuff fade. We all with the same. We all want a meal in the safe. I want to live like I'm trying to enlighten. Just spill from my lips. Feel big. A sip till I pass out. Try and get grit, but it don't make sense. Cause you can lose life on this fast route. Yeah, turn thoughts to a cash cow. I might flip that to the glass house. I don't need the accolades, I'm in love with the chase. I just wanna eat, save a spot at the table. Beast with the slap, hit myself on the map. Long with the wind, but we knowing that it's cap. Five hour flights, couple nights at the flat. To be real, could you see me making moves while I'm at? I'm still on the grind, every time when I chat.